The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, Social Security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Hello, welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show Q&A edition for this week. As usual, we have a good pile of questions. I don't think there's a particular theme to today's Q&A show, so we're likely to start with Social Security question or two at the beginning and then uh, get into some other stuff. If you want to send in your own questions for consideration on the show way to do that would be to send them to Jim's email directly. Jim at jimhelps.com is the email address. That's jimhelps.com. And in the subject line, make sure you indicate that it is a question for the podcast. Makes it a little bit easier for him to find them. So I will uh, um, bring Jim in as soon as he's ready to go. I can always tap dance a little bit longer if, if need be. I know he's been busy in his a, garden doing doing his uh, fall harvesting since I've gotten a few vegetables recently myself. So thank you very much for those again. Did you try those cherry tomatoes last night? I tried one. It was really nice. Yeah, the red I, one or the orange one? Uh, I tried a red one. You got to try the orange ones too. Those yeah. orange ones, folks, are my favorite cherry tomatoes. Any guy out there will know. Sun gold, S-U-N-G-O-L-D, two words, sun gold. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal sweet uh, potato. That tomato could be a sweet potato too, but <laughs> this isn't. <laughs> I'm talking about a sweet tomato. Yeah. It's a small cherry tomato, about the size of a sweet 100, which is the red ones that you have, by the way, Chris. Mm-hmm. But the orange ones, to me, are just to die for. They they taste literally like candy. They're just so good. Yeah, my Sun wife. Gold. My wife stole them, so. I don't think I'm going to be able to get to you. She'll eat them before I get to any. Wait, so. the person who doesn't listen to the podcast took my tomatoes. Yeah, she had a an outing with some friends today that they, they play Mahjong or something together, and they all bring snacks and vegetable trays and everything. And I brought those home, and she scooped them right up and said, Oh, I can take these. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you can. <laughs> well, ask her how her friends liked the cherry tomatoes. I'm sure they'll love them, but I'll check, yeah. 
especially the orange ones. And people look at first and like an orange tomato, mm. like absolutely try it. Oh yeah, I've I've I love um, heirloom tomatoes, so I've totally gotten over the fixation on on red tomatoes. I'm I'm any color, any time, as long as it's a good quality tomato, it's for me. It's for you. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed them. There's a little cucumber in there, and then a couple of squashes. I, I doubt she took yeah. the cucumber and squashes. I think she and took don't the con- cucumber. I was going to say she might have took the cucumber yeah. uh, as well. Okay. All righty. So let's get into the show. We got a kind of a, a hard break today, so that'll keep Chris on on track from going down too many rabbit holes. I'm sure. And we're going to actually, I know I said we're going to do one social security question, one Irma question, but I think these two social security questions, I read them previous time, uh, are very short. In fact, one of them, we answer a question similar to this all the time, it seems. So I think you can get through these three questions quite quite quickly. Oh, but before we begin, we should say uh, Mm -hmm. happy Labor Day to to everyone listening. We're recording this the day before Labor Day. A little after nine. Labor Day is Monday, technically. That's what I said. Oh, no, I said a little day after, a little bit before Labor yeah. Day. Um, but uh, today is Friday, the, the weekend of Labor Day. It's nine in the morning, a little after nine. Uh, we're recording this early because we have things to do. Chris has some meetings today. So um, we just wanted to wish everybody a happy uh, unofficial end of summer. And in another couple of weeks, when football officially starts, that's when I consider it fall, even though it's still technically uh, mm-hmm. late summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, once, once football is, is starting and uh, my squash plants are dying and I start to see my pumpkins and my spaghetti squash and my butternuts, it's fall. As far as I'm yeah. concerned, it's fall. That's even though it's trigger. still 90. It's, <laughs> right. It's going to be 95 <laughs> again today. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's, it's fall. Yeah. Uh, except for the silly pumpkin spice lattes that came out in mid-August. This oh my year gosh, yes. What's up with that? I don't know. Jacob had one. He had one last week, he told me. Yeah. And he said it was because he was at the office the, the day, I guess it was cool and rainy for Colorado standards. Oh, true. And he felt, there was a day or yeah, two of that. Yeah, yeah. And he said he felt chilly and he went to Starbucks and he got himself a pumpkin spice latte in the middle of August. But to me... Anything before August with anything to do with a pumpkin is just sacrilegious. Okay, so let's begin with a short Social Security question. This came in through our website, through the helpwithmysocialsecurity.com. So, um, actually, no, I apologize. This came in through the actual website of the radio show, the retirement and IRA show.com. A lot of people go there because we have every show on that website. I think iTunes and the other podcasts drop after a hundred or so. Uh, we have everyone there. Apparently there is a way to send us a message from that website. Uh, so this came from that website. So there's no hint. Uh, it came in on a wonderful, wonderful day. It was Chocolate Cake Day, otherwise known as Jim's birthday, mm-hmm. July 24th. Okay, it says, my wife and I are five years apart in age. I plan on not collecting Social Security until I'm 70. My wife's Social Security on her own benefit will be less than half of my Social Security. 
If my wife starts collecting Social Security when she reaches her full retirement age, will she be able to collect the higher amount when I start collecting? You've answered this many, many times, but these people probably missed it, and I thought it would be a good review, yeah. hence repeating No, this there's question. always there's new listeners that haven't been listening for years that have maybe heard us cover that before, and it's a, I think it's good that uh, people understand these basics of Social Security because um, I cannot tell you how many times uh, people misunderstand the rules, and it ends up costing them because they'll make a decision assuming things work one way and they actually work somewhere, some other way. And you really don't have do-overs with Social Security. Once you've filed and you let the cat out of the bag, um, there's no real easy redo. There's some a couple of cases where you can do effectively a redo, but you have to... What I encourage people to do is make sure they have all their ducks in a row before they file so that they know that they're making the right choice for them. So with that said, in this case, um, the wife's Social Security is less than half of the husband's, so she would be eligible to receive a spousal benefit equal to half of her husband's full retirement age benefit. However, with spousal benefits, that door does not get unlocked for her until he files. So if she were to file before him, she would file and receive just her own benefit. When he files and unlocks the door to the spousal benefit, they will then add on top of hers an additional benefit called a spousal offset that would increase her total benefit to half of his full retirement age benefit, not half of what he's collecting because he mentioned he's waiting till 70. He's going to have an increased benefit by waiting to 70. The spousal benefit isn't half of the increased benefit. It is half of the full retirement age benefit, whatever that might be. But he mentioned that is the case uh, for her. Her benefit is less than half of his. And uh, it is common for spouses to file at different times. And because she has her own benefit, um, she can collect that for a while until he unlocks the door to the spousal. So yes, she will get topped up. And specifically in her case she will end up with half of his full retirement age benefit or half of his PIA, technically half of his adjusted PIA. Uh, adjusted PIA is my terminology to uh, acknowledge that your initial PIA that's set when you're 62 years old does adjust over time. But um, the one key to her uh, situation is that she's claiming her own at full retirement age. If she w instead would have claimed before her full retirement age, she would receive a reduced benefit of her own. Then when he unlocked the door, she would not be topped up to half of his PIA. That's because the spousal benefit is technically made up of her benefit first and then the spousal offset. If you claim early and reduce your portion of that total, your own benefit, that reduction is permanent and will continue even after the spousal benefit gets added on there. So just be aware of that. I wanted to point that out. Uh, doesn't apply to them because he said specifically she's going to claim when she reaches full retirement age. So she won't be claiming a reduced benefit of her own. So once he unlocks the door, she'll be popped up to half of his PIA or half of his uh, full retirement age benefit is another way of saying it. So um, good question. Fairly basic uh, as far as the complexity goes in the Social Security system. But 
um, a lot of misunderstanding about how that works. So I'm glad we were able to cover that on the show today. All righty. <clears throat> All righty. <laughs> Lost my voice there for a second. Must be going through puberty. Okay, here is the second question. See if they gave us a hint. Nope, no hint. Okay. Okay, this one. Well, nope. Apologize, I clicked the wrong one. I want to. This is the Irma question. I'm going to ask you. I got to click back into the social. See, it's much easier when I have paper. Okay, this is the social security one. Perfect. This one is the one that came in from our website, helpwithmysocialsecurity.com. And they have no idea that we have a podcast because it says, how did you hear about this website? And she said, Google search. So maybe we will turn this one into a blog post as well so she can actually get her answer. But I'll have Jacob reach out to her as well and tell her about the the podcast. Okay. Okay. She is from the good state of Indiana. She doesn't know anything about giving hints because she's not a podcast listener. So I'll just tell you from Indiana, folks. Here's her question. My husband is nine years older than me, and he started receiving his Social Security at 62. Our daughter also received benefits. The amount was half. And I received the child and care spousal benefit. My benefit stopped when our daughter turned 16. Then I hit retirement age in February. And that's this year, Chris. This email came in this year. In February, and spousal benefits started automatically. Now Social Security is saying I need to file for my own. I can't suspend until 70 which is what I want to do. Both my parents live past 90. My question is, if I file for my own and then suspend, will I still get spousal benefits? Do I have to pay back what I received since from February to June? She emailed us this in June. This poor woman is confusing an old strategy that doesn't get allowed anymore since 2015, I believe. But I do think there's something she theoretically could do. I'll see if you pick up on it. So first I want to point out, she said, um, I can't suspend until 70. She, anyone can suspend until 70. There's no restrictions. When still, when you reach your full retirement age, you can suspend until 70. So I wanted to clear that up if she's being told differently. Um, that's wrong. Um, the strange thing about her case is, and I'm not going to go deep into child and care benefits because that's not really the, the, the essence of the question here, but it is true that once the child reaches 16 years old, child and care spousal benefits stop for the spouse collecting them. What was a little strange is she said that her regular spousal benefit then turned back on when she reached her full retirement age. Somehow that must have been programmed into the system because to the best of my knowledge, that is not an automatic thing. That is not something that automatically happens usually. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, This is, you know, there's these little nuanced rules in the back room of social security. Sometimes we don't discover until we trip upon them at some point, but I'm not aware of that being an automatic, but if someone proactively said it, okay, when she turns her, you know, when she reaches her own full retirement age, turn the spousal back on. 
uh, and it just lingered in the system until she hit full retirement age and then it fired back up, that's a possibility. And I assume that's what happened. But nevertheless, the fact that it started back up, the trouble she's got is nobody now who was born after January 1st of 1954 is allowed to claim a file a restricted application is what they call it for just the spousal benefit if you were born before january 2nd of 1954 you were grandfathered in and are allowed to do what she wishes i think she could do which is collect her spousal leaving her own benefit sitting there until she reaches 70 and then turning her age 70 benefit on when it's as large as possible based on her the fact that she turned full retirement age this this February in 2023 she was born well after January 1st of 1954 so she's not grandfathered in so the only way to uh claim a spousal benefit for her and everyone else born after January 1st of 1954 that's not under the child and care benefit you know one off we're just talking about normal spousal benefits is to first claim your own benefit they are deeming you to have claimed your own benefit before they'll pay you any spousal offset. So there's no way to restrict just to the spousal in her case. So she has a couple of choices. I think they turned it on for her inappropriately because I think they probably set that up to turn back on back in the day when she could claim you know, a restricted application just for her spousal benefit. And that setting you know, just lingered on in her account, and then it suddenly fired up and started paying her spousal until some sort of audit discovered, hey, she can't be collecting just a spousal. We better send her a letter that says, no, 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 you have to claim your own if you want to keep receiving this. She could decline that, possibly. I don't know if they're going to argue, no, you asked us to turn it on, so so you're turning it on, and your only remedy then is to immediately suspend, which she is allowed to do. But if she suspends, she will not collect anything. The nuance there is she'll be, if she suspends, she'll be able to keep the payments between February and when she suspends, but she won't generate as many delayed retirement credits because she won't have delayed every month from her full retirement age until 70, she will have collected for maybe six months. So she will only collect, you know, will collect a fewer number of delayed retirement credits. That's the downside. The upside is she collected benefits for some five or six months. Um, If she was really adamant about getting every delayed retirement credit she could be eligible to receive, I would suggest she argue to the Social Security Administration that she never requested her benefit be turned on at her full retirement age and that you can ask them to undo that, to correct that error. You will have to pay back the benefits you've received, though, because if you're asking them to reset the system so that they don't pay you starting at your full retirement age, you can't also keep the money that they paid you in the meantime. So that would have to be paid back. So that might be a harder argument to make. The The suspension absolutely can happen because she's now over her full retirement age and she could suspend. And when you're in suspension, she you earn delayed retirement credits up to the age of 70. What she can't do is suspend her own benefit only and still collect a spousal, which she clearly hopes to do. Everyone would hope to be able to do that. 
but she did not make the cutoff. She is too young to have made the cutoff. She was born after January 1st of 1954 when she could have done this. So I'm, I'm mostly personally interested in how that spousal benefit got turned on automatically uh, in the background. That's something I don't think should have happened. That's the more fascinating part for me. I'm sure she's more interested in the fact that, hey, I want to you know, suspend or stop any benefits paid so I can get my delayed retirement credits because my goal was to wait till 70 because I have longevity in my family or something. So um, hope that helps. I think you have those two choices there and and you'll have to go back to Social Security and uh, work out which of those two you would prefer happen and, and see if they would allow you to undo that claiming of spousal in February and pay it back if that's what you want to do. Maybe you're not in a position to pay those benefits back. You've spent them and you don't have money laying around to pay it back. That pretty much paints you into a corner where you're going to have to suspend and then capture six-month fewer delayed retirement credits Um or so, you know, just depends on February until now is right at six months. I'm hitting seven months now. So uh, that, that I think is her, you know, for sure option. She has that to do, but she can ask about the other. And you, you nailed the two that I was thinking of. I actually have them written down here in front of me and, and you, you got them both. So I was like, darn it, I can't chime in. <laughs> but that's why you do all the social security questions because you are just smut on this. All righty. Now we have an Irma question. I um, was looking for Irma questions because I told you we have a bunch of Irma questions. Mm -hmm. And I kept putting I-R-M-M-A into my search box. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Nothing was popping up. I'm surprised you didn't find any because a lot of times people use that as messed, the that, that it's pronounced like Irma. So spelling wise, without knowing better, I-R-M-M-A makes more sense than I-R-M-A-A. That sounds like Irma-A, right? So, yeah, and, so, uh, and our listeners are just smart. They're Vanguardian VGs. Uh, or they might not be at Vanguard. They might be other way, but they all have this engineering style mind or they're very, very into this. Not to say I'm not very, very into this as well, but it is nine o'clock, a little after nine in the morning on a Friday. Uh, so I kept searching and I couldn't find any darn questions. And I was like, oh, my God, I thought for sure we had a bunch of Irma questions. And then I realized my mistake. OK, and that's why we got a boatload of them. And I had actually opened it accidentally first. And now it's closed. So I have to go back to it. It is so much easier with paper, Chris. You, you can use paper again if it's that oh. much trouble. And it means printing. I'm, I'm, I'm torn. Okay, no hint on this one. Came in in June. Okay, no hint. Well, it does give the city he's from. I guess I can say the city. It's a big city. He's calling himself George, but uh, gives his real name as well. He's in Kansas City. So, city that I've been to many times. Mm So he's uh, not too far from from Denver, actually. I've been there a few times myself. Yep. Hi, Jim and Chris. Love the show. Long-time listener. First-time emailer. I work for another financial planning firm, and this has been the best planning 
podcast for more technical knowledge and entertainment. Well, thank you, George from Kansas City. Chris and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out this one with some colleagues of mine. Do you have any ideas? If I retire, having made, for example, 300000 in wages as a married taxpayer, but my income doesn't change in retirement, for example, taking money out for Roth conversions of a similar amount that I was earning before I retired. Is this grounds for an IRMA appeal when the SSA 44 form reads work stoppage? I'm wondering whether the qualifying event itself actually results in the decrease or if you also need to substantiate it with the income in 2023 versus the income received in 2021. I know you mentioned on the podcast before, but would love a refresh. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that Social Security question before. Um, the IRMA and its ramifications and its uh, the, the grounds for appeal, It's I don't think they really call it an appeal technically. They call it a uh, request for recalculation or, or something like that. It's... it's uh, but, you know, to the rest of us, it feels like an appeal, right? They're wanting to do something and you're appealing to them not to do it because of some qualification. And this is very much misunderstood. There's Think of it as a two-pronged test. We talk about the two-pronged test for uh, qualified Roth distributions. Uh, IRMA essentially is a two-pronged test. There has to be, one, a life-changing event, the life-changing events, and I'm, I always have SSA 44 handy. That's the form where you file the appeal. The life-changing events are seven in total, and they are marriage, divorce slash annulment is one, death of your spouse, work stoppage or reduction, loss of income-producing property, loss of pension income, and employer settlement payment. Those are the life-changing events listed specifically on the SSA 44. So one of those has to have happened to you. And if one of those happens to you, what the SSA 44 does, it doesn't grant you relief from IRMA because of the life-changing event. What it does is it allows you to ask ask Medicare slash Social Security, where it's administered, to reconsider your IRMA calculation and use a more recent year's income instead of the default income from two tax years prior. And when in his question, he, he mentioned income in 2023 versus 2021, that's the two years prior issue. The IRMA in 2023, for those of you who are affected, IRMA being the income-related monthly adjustment amount or Medicare premium surcharge, which I think we probably should have mentioned at the top of this, but if you, if you didn't know what that was. Uh, the IRMA for 2023 is determined by default based on your 2021 reported modified adjusted gross income or MAGI on your tax return for twenty tax year 2021. Why is it that? Because they make the IRMA determination for 2023 in late fall of 2022. They have to make that determination so they can charge you appropriately for your January Medicare premium. And in late fall of 2022, 
the latest tax return they have is the tax year tax return you filed in 2022, which is for the year, the tax year 2021. So there's a logical reason why it's delayed like that. They they just it's a timing of when they have access to the data. So that's the default. So your your Maggie in 2021 is going to affect your Irma in 2023 by default. But what if you had a life-changing event? And um, so essentially what they're saying is you had a reduction in income. So now it would be unfair to charge you the Irma based on your income from a couple years ago. But they will only look at the more recent lowered income if you've had a life-changing event. So think of the life-changing event as opening the door for consideration. Then you have to show that your income is actually lower. So it's the, the, the life-changing event is not in and of itself a reduction of IRMA. What it does is it allows you to ask the system, ask Social Security to use a more recent year. And they will actually use a more recent year, even the current year, and trust you. You will give them an estimate for your modified adjusted gross income and they will alter your IRMA. Some people might say, well, what do you mean they just trust me? Well, yeah, you don't, they don't have proof yet. You, don't, you haven't filed your tax return yet, but they'll be watching, just so you know. And if your reality turns out different than what you told them, they will adjust for it and they will back bill you and they'll collect it. If, if you told them you were only going to earn $100,000 now, which would opt you completely out of Irma in 2023, and then you roll in and it, you, on your tax return and you end up having 250000 on there because you decided to do some Roth conversions or something like that, even though you had stopped work for retirement, they're going to say, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you asked us to recalculate this based on 100000 In reality, you reported 250000 You owe us Irma for the entire year of 2023, and they'll start you know, collecting that from you. So... um that's the scoop. That's uh, uh, the simple answer, straightforward to his question is, the qualifying event itself doesn't resu- result in a decrease. The qualifying event simply grants you the power to ask them to use a more recent year. And that more recent year has to be a lower income Otherwise, when you ask them to look newer, they're going to say, well, you're still, in this case, still making $300,000. It's no different. You're going to, you're going to pay that Irma. Um, so I hope that helped. I hope that helped. And the one thing I do want to call out real quickly on the SSA 44 when I described the life-changing events, work stoppage is what he talked about. And that's the, that's the life-changing event people point to for retirement. But it can be just reduced hours. If you just go part-time, you were full-time and you go part-time, that's work reduction, and would grant you the ability to ask for a reconsideration of your IRMA. The other one that gets uh, misunderstood a lot is the loss of income producing property. So if you have a rental property, for instance, selling the rental property is not a life-changing event. That was a choice as an investor. Loss of income producing property is the income producing property was taken from you due to a disaster or destruction or, you know, fraud or theft or something like that, you lost it, not because you sold it. So when you see that one, a lot of people are paying Irma because they have a lot of rental income and they think, ooh, I'm gonna, if I sell the rental income, 
I can now appeal and get a you know quicker relief. Now, when you sell the rental income, a couple years later, when your income is lower because you're not receiving the rent, you hopefully will receive natural relief from Irma. But if you want it quicker, if you want them to, to jump on it faster, selling the property does not grant you a life-changing event status for filing an SSA 44 form. So I wanted to point that out as well. But burning your property down would. You know, it's it's loss of property <laughs> due to arson is one of those listed, but I, I don't, I'm not sure you burning it down is going to get yeah. you. It's a joke, there. folks. We're not we're not advocating you burn your your property <laughs> down. But two two little mini rabbit holes. I want to go down on this because mm-hmm. of of what you mentioned. Yeah. True story. I was at a conference. This is going back years ago, pre COVID. So this. Uh, I don't even know when COVID was, 2020 now, wasn't it? So three years ago. So this had to be about four or five years ago. I'm at a conference and Irma comes up at the lunch table. As you know, folks, they're all round tables so people can talk. An advisor there was saying he uses that Roth conversions don't apply to Irma. And I was saying, yes, they do. And he said, no, you can use the loss of income producing property. I said, for a Roth conversion? He said, your IRA is income producing. Oh, my God. And you don't have it anymore. You converted it. I was appalled. I hope he was pulling my leg. And I even said that to him. I said, you can't be serious, right? An IRA is not income producing property. And then he claimed that he's done it before and never been questioned on it. (laughs) I don't know if he was kidding me or if he was totally serious conversions of an IRA to a Roth is not a loss of income producing property. At the very least, you still have an IRA generating income. It's just tax-free now in the Roth. Yeah. It's just I was appalled at that one. Don't try to game the system was my point there. But back to this case you just went over. Because mm-hmm. he's sitting there with his colleagues and they're, they're chatting about this. Could it not work this way? He's saying someone's making 300000 a year. Mm-hmm. Then they retire. But they convert just as much. Would they still get out of jail free is what I like to call it. Would they get out from the urn, as you rightly pointed out? No, the change of the retirement, the, the uh, re- retirement, one of the reasons on the SSA 44, just open the door, yep. open the door. Mm-hmm. You still have to, I like how you put it. It's very similar to the two-prong test of a Roth being tax-free. Now it's now it sinks into my head. As soon as you said that, because I'm so fixated on the two-prong test for taking money out tax-free from a Roth, now the two-prong test from being exempt from Irma in any given year. But what if this client did this? Rather than retire December, because I think on the SSA 44, whatever you have to put when you retire, I guess technically they could contact your employer and confirm, or I could be wrong on that. But what if he retired in January, a couple of weeks later, just into the first of the new year? He's not going to have much in earned income at all. A lot of people don't like to do Roth conversions. The get-out-of-jail-free card for the SSA 44 is doing a massive Roth conversion in the year you retire because they don't look at the income sources, how much was salary, how much was conversion, what was interest, what was dividend. They just look at your income on the 1040 in the year of retirement. 
Now, if someone's making $300,000 a year and wants to do a 300000 conversion, obviously doing in the year they working and earned 300000 that's going to be bad. But if they did do it that year and they had 600000 total, I got a two-part question here. And to you, Chris, they did a big conversion in the year they retired and they showed 600000 that year. And two years later, they do a $300,000 conversion, significantly less. Would that help them with Irma? And then my second question would be, what if they retire January, second week of January? They get one pay period, assuming they're paid bi-weekly like we are at our firm or bi-monthly. What if they retired one week into the following year, then did the massive conversion, but then filed the SSA 44 for essentially 2024 instead of 2023? In both those scenarios, would it work? No. Okay. In the first scenario, and you kind of wandered around your description there, so I need to tighten <laughs> it up for people. One In one case, you retired and then a couple years later did a conversion. The conversion was lower as far as generated a lower Maggie than originally. But the just because you retired in, say, 20, at the end of 2021 – that doesn't grant you the ability to do a 2023 conversion and have it not counted at all. Okay. Where you can benefit is the second case where the year in which you have the life-changing event, you also do a big conversion. And, and in your, your example, they worked in January, so they only had one month of income, so they're going to have very low income that year naturally. But then they do a massive conversion, maybe putting them back up to about the 300000 they were earning in wages. And then you use an SSA 44 later on to, to point to that year that you retired and say, no, 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 don't use that year. Even though, you, even though we know that the reason for the big income was actually a Roth conversion, not wages, your retirement year was that year. That's a life-changing event. And then they use a more recent year to determine your IRMA. So that's a way a Roth conversion can be used and not trigger IRMA is if it happens simultaneously with the life-changing event. Gotcha. Okay, well, the one of my strategies would work. So the timing of retirement, especially for people who retire in December, or even if you're thinking of retiring in November, and of course you have to be willing to, to work a little bit longer, <clears throat> but you know you want to do conversions and you know you want to do some pretty big conversions, just postpone your retirement to January of the following tax year. Then you can do your massive conversion and at least for one of the conversions, I'm assuming you might be doing a series of massive conversions. At least one of the massive conversions would help you avoid Irma for that particular year. Right. Do I have that right? Yes. Yep. Perfect. Mm -hmm. All righty, let's get into some questions we received this week that have to do with the EDU series that um, we're, we're starting uh, with, we're just asking for dialogue and we're chatting a little bit about our approach and process. <clears throat> and by default, the fun numbers coming up in, in conversation and things like that. 
So I got some, a mixture, Chris, of both uh, new questions and old questions that all tie in to that. So this first one is real quick. I just want to kind of address it mostly again for new listeners. Uh, and this question came in a while ago, but it says, I just learned about your podcast. In a recent one, you talked about having a set number of podcasts on minimum dignity level and your fun number concept. How do I find them without scanning through all the archives? Do you put them in a certain place where I can find just the fun number ones? Uh, do you want to answer that one real um, quickly? We don't currently, but that's an interesting thought. Maybe some of those series that we do that explain the essence of our approach, we could put in a location. Well, let's table that. We'll we'll uh, think about that. We don't have that yet. The way to get to it now would be to go to the podcast website, theretirementandirashow.com, all one big long word. Have to have the V on there, the retirement and IRA show.com. Uh, go to um, past shows, and then there'll be a search box on the right hand side. And if you simply type the two words fun number, you will see what I believe was four main shows and then maybe a follow up show that started in January of 2023 where we did a detailed walkthrough of, of how we arrive at what we call the fund number, which is the pool of funds that we believe that you have that is purely discretionary, that you can spend on whatever you want, whenever you want to, as long as you're okay with early spending, taking away from later fun, because that's the trade-off. But by segregating it into this pool, you're not in your mind having to worry about making a trade-off of, I'm going to do fun now, but then maybe I jeopardize my food or rent or you know your minimum dignity floor or jeopardize my ability to leave an inheritance or jeopardize my ability to do you know any other priority items that you might want to have. By approaching it with the fun number concept, I think the biggest advantage is it narrows down the trade-off in your brain so that it's a lot easier to manage because it's purely now a trade-off of fun now versus fun later. And that, for most people, is a lot easier to to uh, tackle than trying to balance everything simultaneously in their minds. And then they it's just so overwhelming, they can't come to a decision and they freak out and they're not comfortable and, you know, all those things. So um, anyway, I probably embellished it a little more, but... Okay. No, that's fine. I, I thought you were going to go straight to the website one, yeah. but uh, your idea of, of saving some, I, I don't know if we can do that anytime soon, but it, it gives us food for thought. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Okay. Now we're going to get into some questions that do all relate to each other. And they do kind of revolve a little bit around fun number and spending uh, in the way we do it. So, this first question came in several months ago before we got onto this new EDU dialogue series that we're doing, but I think it applies. And it begins and it says, Jim, unfortunately, not everyone gets a go-go period right after retirement. Some people retire because of health issues. Mm -hmm. I retired at 62, non-life threatening because of chronic pain. And my retirement was me stepping directly into slow go. Then you get the pandemic 
and now no-go at age 71. So he retired. This isn't a, I got the email recently, but he retired, folks, a little while ago, pre-COVID, but he was forcefully retired because he was ill, not life-threatening, but he had pain. Then the pandemic comes and he retired right into slow-go. He missed go-go. Then the pandemic comes. And now I'm in no-go at age 71. I did not have much time for fun at all. There are a lot of people, I think, in that situation. Maybe mention that a little bit more on your podcast. Maybe some ideas about this situation. Sorry if I put a black cloud over everyone's head. And he gives his name, but we will call him George. I want to pause there because what George is experiencing is why I came up with the fun number concept. I told you, and, and George, who's listening, I, I, you have my sympathy of everything you're going through. And I know this can happen at any time. Things have happened to me recently that is getting me to realize that my go-go phase may not be quite the go-go phase I had hoped. We all know we have to face life, but not everyone, fortunately, goes through that. But if you remember what started possessing me on this concept to get people to spend on fun early in retirement, this notion that fun spending had to be limited to a quote-unquote safe withdrawal rate mixed in with all other expenses that you're just given a yearly budget in retirement and you have to fund your minimum dignity floor expenses of food, utilities, transportation, housing, and health care with it, as well as your fun, and you can't spend more than that because you might need it in your 80s and 90s. Now, last week we had that email of someone in his 70s but has friends in their 80s and early 90s who sounded to me like they were I don't necessarily know if they were in the true go-go phase, but they were still out doing things. They were definitely in slow-go, not a no-go phase. Mm -hmm. So there's anomalies on both sides of this bell curve, listener and listeners. Fortunately, everyone, most people rather, fall in that bell. But yes, there are going to be some people who might live and stay healthy a longer time and would like their fun number to last longer. And as we tried to explain to that listener last week, what we give you is a budget. You have to pace yourself. But what this George is talking about is, hey, I never got a fun. And maybe you should talk about that more. And that's exactly why I came up with the fun number, not specifically for this George's case, but for what he's experiencing that almost seemingly at the drop of a hat, his life changed. He had chronic pain, then out of the blue, COVID. And by time he gets through the pain that forced him to retire at 62 and COVID, which slowed everything down, He's now in no-go at 71, I'm guessing, because of the chronic pain still. And I shared with people that that always rubbed me the wrong way when I was taught it at Boston University way back in the day in the 90s. That we were going to limit people to a safe withdrawal rate from a portfolio. And all through my early career, it rubbed me the wrong way. And when... 
Monte Carlo came out, it just seemed to have taken the safe withdrawal rate and added fuel to the fire on on using it. Not only is it simple for a lot of advisors, they don't have to do much, but you could provide a probability statistic and make it seem like you were doing something. Hey, here's a report that I just did for you. You have an 82, an 83, an 85, a 70% chance of success. No one could ever define to me what the appropriate Monte Carlo level was. And if you interviewed people and to this day, you'll get all different estimates. Oh, I only 100 for my clients. Oh, 90 for me, 80. It's just, it's all over the place. And I sat there thinking with a cop mind, because I was a police officer for years, as you all know, that... This notion that, oh, I bring my clients to a 93% surety. It's only a 7% chance they could outlive their money. I usually call that the other guy. And you, like an ostrich, stick your head in the sand and you assume you will not be the other guy. Because 93%, oh, there's no way you're not going to be within that group. The chances of it being you are so slim. Well, I had a career that every day I would meet the other guy. And that's why I never liked this process because the other guy is out there more often than you think. And then I was the other guy, as you all know, about three years ago, almost in two more months, it'll be three years since my stroke. So things can happen and things can happen quickly. Unfortunately, there is not much we can do pre-retirement except preach on our podcast why we believe in the fun number approach and not the safe withdrawal approach. And again, to be really quick, you remember there was that client in my office who had ample secure income, not a lot of savings, but a lot of secure income, very proud of his new truck, told me he was going to wait three years, though, to buy the teardrop camper to then visit every national park in the lower 48 with pulling a teardrop with his new truck. And I asked him, why are you waiting three years? And he said, well, I spent so much money right now early in my retirement. He had just retired, folks. And I think he was 62 or 63. I spent so much money early in my retirement. I need to wait for my portfolio to recover. He had no concept. I did a bad job of explaining what I was trying to do for him. And I walked him through in that meeting. I'm pleased to say he bought the teardrop a few weeks later. He ordered it. He ordered it in the Midwest. I forget where. And it took him a couple months to get it in. But he told me that he had ordered it. And then I worked diligently to change my whole approach to get people to know, we want to come up with your fund budget. You don't wait for that to recoup. You spend it and have fun. Because at any time, you could be this gentleman who emailed us, or me with the stroke, or any number of people, that it changes. And yes, we admit there are people like last week's emailer. We tried to get him to understand. You have to pace yourself, especially if you are of better health. You don't have anything in your past to indicate something bad could happen. Pace yourself. But other people don't. They just say, you know what? We want to have fun the first five, six, eight, ten years of retirement. We hear all different numbers. This is when we want to do things. Then we will voluntarily enter our slow-go phase. 
And then they identify about how much per year they want to spend on fun. We don't limit them to that. It forms their spending ladder. And they just go and have fun. How you do it is going to be up to you. But I do want to share the very next email well, that hang, ties. Yeah, let me let me add a little bit. I think. Too. Okay, sorry we, about that. No, we we just we do have to admit that the fun number approach does not solve these life events that people have. Uh, what it's hopefully doing is providing you with the ammunition to kind of narrow that that teeter-totter approach that you've got to be applying to this when you've got that pool of funds and you're deciding how much to spend in the go-go versus no-go, etc. Life sometimes pulls the rug out from under you. And this approach is not a magic bullet that assures that you'll have you know, done all the fun uh, before this life-changing event that, that, that has occurred. I think what it does is it improves your your chances of checking off early in retirement when you're more likely to be able to do it. So you might be likely at 90 to be able to do some of these things, but you're more, far more likely, we have to admit, that you'd be more likely to be able to do it when you're younger. And then doing it when you're younger, because you know you're just spending out of this pool, recognizing the fact that, yes, by doing these things now, I am taking away from the 90-year-old's ability to do these things. But the odds are that makes sense for me. Other people will say, no, I'm, I, I definitely think I'm going to be you know, just as active at, at 90, so I'm going to treat 65 to 90 as essentially assuming the same amount of fun goes on. And you have every right to treat your fun number like that and spread it out like that. You have to make a decision for yourself. But hopefully the fun number allows you to make a decision in a, with a more manageable set of trade-offs. That's essentially where I see the beauty of the fun number is it, it helps with the trade-off decisions. It's not a magic bullet, though. No, not by any stretch is it a magic bullet. And there's nothing we can do for those unexplained life events, except this emailer had a thought. Now, this email came back, Chris, to us in March when we must have been doing some series. Um, But it begins, Jim and Chris, thank you so much for your detailed shows and explanation of calculating your fun number and all the planning that goes into it. I found your calculation of reserves and buffers for aging in place and long-term care reserves very instructive. Well, after listening to those shows, I did some deep thinking. Probably I am like many of your do-it-yourself podcast listeners, and I am saving significant amounts for my retirement and fun with my wife. And I may have someday... Retirement is still at least four years away from me, though. Well, I thought to myself, what the heck? Why just save for those things in the future? Get on to some fun now, as who knows what will happen to me and what my health will be in four, five, eight, ten years from now. Therefore, intentionally or not, 
Your show spurred my wife and I to start having some fun now and not necessarily only when we retire. We booked a long-awaited trip to Australia while still soaking, oh, socking, socking? I thought it was soaking. Whatever. He's socking it away. I guess that's right. I'm always wrong on things. While still socking away a nice chunk of change for our future self, for our future selves, excuse me, to use for our minimum dignity floor and, of course, for our fun. I wanted to share with your listeners why wait till retirement when you never know what tomorrow or next year will bring. Keep up the good work on your show. It's a godsend to folks interested in retirement planning. He gives his real name, but he signs it George in Pennsylvania. Kind of the mirror opposite of the unfortunate client who, excuse me, listener, not client, who emailed us that first question. And I'm glad it has spurred people to start thinking. Now, you don't want to sacrifice saving for your minimum dignity floor. In our fun number calculation, we tell you and we tell everyone who works with us, funding your minimum dignity floor takes precedence over everything. So hopefully he crunched the numbers and he feels very comfortable with his savings. He's determined his minimum dignity floors. He's made some projections. They're not exact Uh, predictions. They are projections. And he's trying to get an idea of what his minimum dignity floor needs will be. And they are definitely on track for minimum dignity floor. I just want to implore anyone contemplating what this George in Pennsylvania is doing. I like it. And I'm glad we got him to think, why wait four more years till I retire? Who knows what will happen to me in those four years? That's the point. He obviously has the time and the vacation and the ability to do it, but he's saying, I'm going to start spending some now. What he's theoretically doing, assuming, folks, he walks through our process, he has fully promised or taken care of his minimum dignity floor with reserves and lifetime guaranteed income. He hopefully has done his aging analysis and he's reserving those funds and he's not touching them. He's going through if a guaranteed inheritance is important to him or not. And if they are, he's reserving those funds and not touching them. He's figuring out what he and his wife want for that emotional buffer, the lineman, if you will, that stands between life and your fund spending. So he's going to put a buffer in place. Once he does that, he can look at his dollars now and, of course, project what he's going to be saving over the next four years and growth rate on those and get an idea of what his fun number might be. And also what he and his wife are doing is saying, hey, why wait four years for this? We're just going to take some of the fun that we're going to do in the future and spend it today. Because we have right now the health, inclination, desire, and ability to spend on fun. That's the whole point of go-go, what we try to get people to understand. When you first retire, that's when you have the health, inclination, desire, and ability to spend on fun. He just doesn't even want to wait to go-go. I can't fault him. And I hope he just ran the calculations, and it sounds to me he did, being a typical VG most likely. 
And if you feel comfortable that your minimum dignity floor and aging plan, we don't mandate an aging plan for our clients. We mandate minimum dignity floor. We first will fund that. I am so torn on the aging. I want to pull that into mandatory, but I'm still keeping it in optional, if you will. But hopefully he also is putting his aging plan in place and not spending any dollars now on fun that might be needed by the older him if either he or his wife need help taking care of themselves. That would be my big caveat to his strategy. Mm -hmm. But if he's done it all, Chris, I think what he's doing is fine. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I agree. And I think it's a way for people who aren't yet ready to stop work. Many people love their work now. They're in a position where uh, it's still enjoyable, um, not overly stressful, and they would like to do it some more. And that it brings in a lot of financial benefits, right? They've got that salary coming in, et cetera. And if you've got the ability to kind of balance between the two, there is no reason to arbitrarily wait until the first day of retirement to start doing things by any means. The reality is a lot of people who are working full-time simply don't have the time to take away from work to go do these things, but some people do. It sounds like this person does, and I think if you've looked at it and, and you're feeling good about your overall situation and you've addressed all the more all the other priority items, as Jim described, there's nothing wrong with starting to check off some of the bucket list items now. It's really going to help you avoid or you know, the the unexpected rug pulled out from under you, now I can't do any of my bucket list if a health issue suddenly springs up. Life, you have X amount of time. We don't know what that X is, unfortunately, nor do we know, you know, the quality of those years. But you have, hope, hopefully, some dreams of some things you want to do. And when you get to a position where you can do them without undermining your long-term retirement foundations, we'll call them, go for it, I say, uh, and, and, and don't just think, oh, I can't do this until I retire. That's what retired people do. No, there's a lot of people. This is almost like a form of a phased retirement that you um, are working at least uh, reduced enough to have the time to go do some adventures, uh, but you haven't stopped working yet. So you might not think of it as a phase. You're not consciously, you know, phasing down, but it's it's kind of similar to that. And I think there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, sounds like a good way to go. Kind of keep keep your feet in both pools for a little bit and start checking off those bucket list items. So I like it. Yeah, I thought those two questions were good, folks, mm-hmm. because even though they're the mirror opposite, they kind of relate to the same concept of the fun number. We just want you to try to figure out the whole concept of what we call the see-through portfolio rather than looking at your assets as one big half million, million, two million, five million, whatever it is you have saved for retirement, rather than looking at it as this one big pool of money and using accumulation rules and trying to maintain a 60, 40, 70, 30, 80, 20, 3070, whatever your breakdown asset allocation is, and having this very dogmatic investment policy statement and sticking to this and just withdrawing what you perceive to be a safe withdrawal rate, whether it's 4.7, 5.2, 4.0, 1.9, I've seen it all over the place. I just don't like that. It doesn't reflect 
life. And it doesn't, it's, it's putting everyone into one simple solution. Limit your withdrawal. But not everyone needs to. We have the listeners who said we're in our 70s and still going strong. We have sadly this listener who says, I never really made it out of my 60s and now I'm into my early 70s and I'm in no-go. I never got a go-go phase. And he wanted us to share that with everyone. And then these listeners who are saying, hey, why should we wait? We don't know what the future brings. I know it's nice to say life expectancy, especially if you make it to 65, your life expectancy is going to be 80-something. Everybody fixates that life expectancy in this country is 76 or so when we're around there. That's from birth, but life expectancy from 65, if you're lucky, if you're one of the ones who make it to 65, you could live another 20 years. So I just want people... Pardon? Or longer. Oh, oh, longer. Yes, absolutely. So I just want people to understand that we don't know. We all think I made it to 65. I'm going to live for 20, or as Chris said, maybe longer, 25, 30 years. So I'm going to limit my fun now. That's fine. But life expectancy is an average. There's always going to be the other guy and I, who's going to die at 66. I'm just trying to get people to understand you could be the other guy. And we have an email from the other guy. And we have an email from a couple who recognize they could become the other guy. And by creating a see-through portfolio so they can just assign the spending to their dollars that it's going to be tasked to do, and then hopefully... Uh, investing those, we call them positions in the office, investing those positions appropriately based on the risk capacity of the spending they're assigned to. So some might be in very conservative, individually owned bonds or CDs or MIGAs, and others might be 100% equities. If they're being earmarked for some expense 20 or 30 years from now, or to a guaranteed inheritance to a 10-year-old grandchild. So Having that concept of the see-through portfolio, instead of one big portfolio, multiple smaller portfolios, and then identify your fund number, you can deal with life and its uncertainties, I think, a little bit better. But as Chris pointed out, there's no magic bullet. Our approach is not a magic bullet. Anyone can become the first listener at any time. His happened in his 60s. It could happen to you in your 70s or 80s. Who knows? Okay. Do we have time for more? Or do, uh, we no, don't? that's going to have to wrap us today. Okay. Then we will wrap it. Yeah. So we do want to thank everybody for listening and sending in questions. Nice group of questions today. Uh, if you want to send in your own questions, like I mentioned before, send them directly to Jim. Jim at JimHelps.com. That's Jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. Make sure in the subject line that you indicate that it's a question for the podcast. That'll get his attention. And uh, you have a nice Labor Day weekend, Jim. Hopefully you can harvest some more stuff. If you end up with a few more tomatoes, I'd love to see them because I won't get any of the batch you gave me. But I, I will have tons of tomatoes. Okay, I have. Good. It's been a steady stream of people Excellent. coming uh, to the house yeah. and picking things up. Okay. Once my friends know, I have 28 tomato plants. So once right. people know my tomatoes are coming in, um, 
the the cherry ones seem to go the quickest, and I have uh, about nine or ten of those. And then the rest are very very large Roma style tomatoes that I use for for making sauces, sauces and soups yeah. and things like that. Nice. The the big ones aren't ready yet, but the cherry ones are coming in hand yeah. over fist. Awesome. Well, All thanks ready. a lot. Have a nice day, and uh, we'll be back with everybody next week with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. 